Namaste. So I do not know whether to start by a preamble that uh, there are no perfect uh, rule book for uh, a perfect human relationship. Just as there is no perfect rule book for perfect parenting, you have to figure out as you go along the way. And all that we can have is a few pointers. And since we are all humans, I suppose, and we are all on the path of the integral yoga, I suppose. So therefore, um, we need to address this issue to ourselves because um, it is one of those uh, difficult areas both for our own journey and for the yoga. And the reason for this difficulty is uh, many reasons but one of them is that we as human beings are inherently the most complex creation on earth. So this, uh, that's the reason why human nature as such is a very fascinating and complex thing because uh, it defies any simple single slot in which we can put it, a category into which we can uh, place a human being and therefore it becomes at once a very challenging issue. So where do we start? Normally we start from within outwards but for this particular subject I think we can start from outside within and the one source outwardly of most human problems. Inwardly we all know the big disease with which we suffer as human beings is egoitis and uh, there is no simple easy cure for it. It manifests in 101 ways uh, even when we think we have conquered it, uh, we are most in its trap. So uh, let's start from outside within because one of the most common causes outwardly of human frictions and human issues and human problems is this great faculty of speech. So, <laughs> uh, if one case mother says very interestingly, she says, see this power of speech is uniquely human. There are many other things uniquely human uh, which we hardly use. For instance, self-reflection, self-progress by looking within is something uniquely human. Uh, but we don't use it. But speech is like a gift and it makes us feel so proud that we can speak. It's almost like a child with a new toy. So we as human beings have this toy given to us which is called speech and its purpose is to build bridges, but more often than not, we break whatever bridges uh, exist uh, in human relationships. Uh, I remember long back seeing a movie in which uh, there was this uh, uh, this girl who could speak, uh, and and the boy could speak. So they had, you know, it looks like it is very challenging. This this experiment. Uh, <laughs> frankly, I felt this is a not so challenging that we both could speak because <laughs> how the problems and how the confusions I see it all the time both in my practice in our life they come from speech so, so and just like any other power any other power when it first manifests it's like when a child plays with a toy it doesn't know how to use the toy so this this faculty is most misused. 
and it takes time for human beings to develop uh, how to use it rightly, how to really uh, master it, control it and direct it properly and if you read the Gita and of course uh, the mother's writings on the four austerities, we see that the Gita dedicates a whole number of slokas on the top of speech, the austerity of speech. And we see the same thing when mother speaks about, she goes at length about austerity of speech. Among all the tapasyas, she seems to speak about speech as something very important. And uh, of course we know that speech is a way we externalize uh, our consciousness. So apart from its, if we speak too much it depletes our energy, makes us vulnerable, but that's a different area altogether. But very often when we speak too much uh, and when the speech uh, flies on wings of vital, then it becomes, we don't know at which point, which arrow will be shot and where it's going to hit. Unlike the physical arrow which you can take out and maybe take the person to a doctor and you know apply some. But speech, the arrow of speech once it hits, it's very difficult to take it out. And that's why we know there have been wars because of apparently because of speech. Simply because somebody spoke at a wrong moment, laughed at a wrong moment, etc. Uh, etc. Et so I think if as human beings we just master this faculty. One faculty. It's something tremendous already we make great advance. So what happens in speech? Speech is a very we all know it. The contents of consciousness are carried in speech. There's a very beautiful letter of Shirvindo on psychic self-control of speech. So speech has these two elements, the sound and the words. And while words are things on which we focus, we try to very carefully master the meaning etc. But sound is something which we should be very careful about. The same thing said uh, with a certain stress and emphasis on the sound changes its meaning altogether, completely, its effect altogether. So this particular instrument is so important in our human dealings. The mastery of speech involves a whole lot of things. Uh, one of them is that speak uh, as little as possible and then, you know, listen more than you speak. Now I know my wife is sitting there, she will say yes, that's an advice for you. <laughs> so, but it's so true, if you really look inside, we understand that if we learn to listen, just to listen, half the problems are just to listen. People uh, are not uh, wanting to prove always a point, but just want to speak out their feelings. Allow them to speak out. And it, it releases a lot of things inside. And if you can listen with, uh, not just with the outer ear, but listen with the heart, with, with a heart of kindness and compassion, it solves many problems. And uh, the source of this compassion and kindness, as I have understood and learned in life, is that when we all human beings are going through our own issues, our own difficulties, our own challenges. There is a very nice saying in Hindi, Hamam mein sab nange. We are all taking a shower and we are all uh, without our clothes 
inside the shark. So when we are all taking a shark, so we need to understand that human nature is by now this side, I learned this phrase, I learned from a very, very different way. It was in Russia that suddenly I I hope there are no Russians here. But they are beautiful people. I have very good friends. And when I went for a bath, I realized it's a common bathroom. So I thought only for men. They said, no, 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 anybody can come. Men or women, <laughs> to request, okay, I am not that developed to live in that consciousness of, uh, you know, liberty where I am beyond gender. So uh, they were very kind and kept for me a separate timing altogether, timing uh, as a slot. But uh, coming back to this, when we struggle with the difficulties, Mother says that one thing is that people who are very intolerant of others, who are quick to criticize others, who are quick to blame others, they basically have not struggled within themselves with their own problems. That's why we see that when people are very young, adolescent, and immediately after adolescent, they, they revolt and they, they believe that you know they are the best and uh, they are the ideal people in the world and everybody else is uh, far below. And this is something I think most of us go through, all of us perhaps go through. But as you grow through life, you realize something and you realize that it's so challenging human life from every point of view it's challenging and difficult to master one difficulty and that brings a state of humility and as the mother puts it, it brings sunny tolerance. It's sunny tolerance. Sunny tolerance and generosity of heart is very different from simply using the label of liberal intolerant. Some of the most intolerant people are those who, uh, you know, uh, take a banner of tolerance and liberality because it comes from the heart. It is not an ideology which makes you tolerant. When you go through life and you discover that each one has their own challenges. So this brings a certain kind of acceptance. And when there is a certain kind of acceptance, uh, we can uh, look at uh, us humans in two different ways. One is that we are holding hands and wrestling with each other. And the second is we are holding hands, we are all in a you know mud pool and we are trying to help each other come up. I remember one of the dreams I had uh, long back, dream visions, and uh, this turned out to be prophetic subsequently. And I saw that there was a very interesting game which was arranged in our ashram playground, and we all had to take a ball and put it into the goal. But the game was very easy. There was only one side, goal, and all of us went together. How beautiful. You just throw the ball and people have to take it and put it. You can put as many goals as you want. So I said, this is fantastic. But then as the game proceeded, I discovered something very interesting. Just five, six of us were trying to take it to the goal and all others, when the ball came in their hand, they were pushing it backward. And it was so difficult to explain that, look, there is the goal and we all are on one side. We are not on two sides. <laughs> it's so interesting. And this dream taught me many things. Of course, it was a prophetic vision, as I said. But the day we understand that we all have a common origin, we all have a common issues, and we all have to are moving towards the same goal. One of the things that we learn when we travel too much, travel outside, see the surface differences when we look at people as uh, colors and language and this. This is all surface. But anyone who has traveled all over the world, I'm sure most of us have. You discover that it's the same problem, same issues, you know, same challenges, same heart, same uh, problems that human beings face, which is
teaches about human nature is just the same universally. And it brings a kind of sobering attitude, a kind of wildness. So once we understand this basic thing, then we see that most of our interactions with each other are on the surface of life. And this is something repeatedly that Mother teaches us that, you know, we live on the surface, we are caught on the surface and we get pulled and dragged into the surface. And on the surface there is nothing but the basic play of the ego. And perhaps that is why the great uh, saying of the great poet, that too much closeness breeds contempt. Why? Because when you live very close together, you begin to observe small little issues which, if you just step back, are really not, not important at all. I have seen people fight over who will control the remote, as if controlling the remote is controlling life. <laughs> because, and I suppose uh, one of the things in the ashram which mothers has done so beautifully is that well, people can be together, they can be friends and all, but have your own space where you go back and sleep. And I think this is so important. They are very practical things. Uh, have your own space where you can retire and be with yourself and whatever way you want to spend your time. So uh, I have seen that most of the interactions are on the surfaces of life. Meaning thereby we are just reacting to every little impulse, every little word, every little gesture and on the surfaces there are a lot of imperfection. Uh, shouldn't we say that the change of surface nature is the last and unfortunately we are looking all the time for the specimens of Superman outside. So of course we fail because uh, it's not there. We want to really look at where the Superman or the new race is being formed, it is deep inside. And where is it being formed? In the will, the idea, the faith. Because we can't see that. Deep inside, whatever is a person's faith and persistence of will, that he is going to become. And the divine sees that. And that's why many times we don't understand that this person and mother is so close to this person why? Because we are looking at the surface, but she is seeing the depths. I remember a small little story. And how mother would deal with these uh, you know, different people, most luckiest cases in the universe, I think. <laughs> because where else they will go? After all, they will go to the divine leader. And uh, the story is, uh, of course, we all know, but I won't mention the name. Someone uh, uh, who one day got very annoyed, and mother gave her some flowers, and she threw those flowers right there said, you don't love me, I don't care, and I'm going. So she went to her room, and uh, right behind Vasudadi comes, and says, do you want to know what mother, first and gave her a card, which mother had instantly sent. So she said, mother has sent a card for you. Okay, keep it there. Do you want to know what mother said after you went from left to place? No, no, I don't care. No, no, still, if you want, I can tell you, otherwise I'll go. Okay, tell me what did mother say about me. Now, normally you see, how, what would we expect? You see, she doesn't value what I am giving her. You know, she's a divine mother. What all she must have poured into her. She doesn't value this is humanity. But what did mother say? She said, this girl doesn't know how much she loves her. But this was for a life-changing experience. 
to be able to see the love which is in the depths. If we see the surfaces of life, we see all kinds of, you know, because surface is always the poison is coming out. But if we look into the depths, we will see that that violation of love, that little flame of love. Mother could see even in the Titans, that famous Nilkant uh, Shastri, the Tantri who used to come and he went and said, Mother, I have done the puja and I want encircle the Titans. <laughs> they won't trouble anybody anymore. And the mother says, he doesn't understand. What he doesn't understand, she said, even in them there is this element of divine love. Another thing very beautiful that we learn, many, many beautiful things, just in their lives we learn. So we know that story of human life when he went with uh, a list of people, whom he said, Mother, why are you keeping these people here? They are basically just a burden. <laughs> he didn't say in so many words. And as we know, he was uh, you know, all full of service, and for him, mother's work meant everything. And then she says, give me that list, and she sees the list, 25 people, and one by one she says, but this person can do this better, this person can do this. Last she comes on to a person and says, but have you noticed that he fixes these stamps so beautifully on the envelope? <laughs> and he gives up, he says, okay. So you see, this is the difference between human vision and the divine vision. We see that little dot, that's the dot on your side. And the divine room, you look so beautiful. That is the difference between the two vision. And if we encourage this beauty, there is something very interesting uh, which is uh, in psychology, we speak about it. That children who are constantly, you know, when parents keep passing all kinds of remarks, they end up justifying, it's like a negative role playing. Whereas when we say beautiful things about people, of course it doesn't mean we should flatter and say all kinds of beautiful things, but always some, everyone has something which is beautiful. It's just a question of if I am not able to find it, it means I am deficient in that aspect. Everyone has something beautiful. And then when we begin to look at that aspect, that there is something beautiful in human beings, in this particular person, so mother speaks about it in one of her passages. She said, my child, I always look upward. I look towards beauty, towards truth, towards this splendor that is going to come. And uh, if I were to look at the ugly side, well, nobody will be able to stand a chance. Just on the way we saw this wonderful lotus pool. Now, you see, this is the other part of too much of closeness. If we went close, maybe the stench will affect us, maybe we will look at the mud which is below. So always it's very good to keep a little space in the relationship. I've seen that relationships get too close when two people uh, are all the time together. <laughs> this can create all kinds of uh, challenges. But to give a little space, let there be space in your togetherness. And I think this is a need today's times even more because as such in today's time because evolution has become fast forward. So it's like when people give a little space, allow people to explore their own life in their own way, unique way. Because each of us has our individual journeys which is unique and different from anyone else. But we have an innocent need, Mother uses the word innocent, 
that everybody should be like us, think like us, act like us. We want monotone. And the divine doesn't want monotone. That's why when he wants us to evolve, he would put sometimes two very dissimilar people together. So that's a challenge, that's a grace, because uh, that's how the world is. No two people should be aligned because the original plan is unity in diversity and not unity in uniformity. But invariably, the most liberal person, and it's so surprising, the most liberal persons want that everybody should be liberal. The most tolerant person is extremely intolerant about any other view except tolerance, which is a paradox. Meaning thereby because these ideals cannot be realized by the mind. Tolerance is not something which, in fact, tolerance is not a good word. It's very demeaning. If somebody tells me, I'm tolerating you, I, I would say, please, <laughs> don't think, you don't have the need to tolerate. Tolerance is like I am superior and I am already condescending someone and looking from the world, I am tolerating you. The right point is I understand you. I understand. You have your differences. Why not? Let's celebrate those differences. So, uh, this is one of the ways to navigate through life instead of being critical. Now, we have people who will just pick up those little things. There are people who are hypercritical. And they are sadly even critical about themselves. Very diffident. They always have a negative or other self-appreciation. They always are critical about others. And there is a very nice story about it. Uh, someone wrote to Shrivito that, Sir, I have not done any harm to this man. And I have seen he has been talking all ill about me to everyone. Shrivito said, but that's uh, quite common. And then he said, haven't you heard Ishwar Chandra Vishwar Vidya Sagar? Famous remark that he said, you know, he is critical about me, but I have not done any good to him. <laughs> you know, when you do good to someone and someone is critical, I have tried to understand, I have seen this kind of thing. Why are people so critical even when you do separately some good? So it's one way you want to escape from the need to be grateful. Because, you know, you have found a fault. So this fault finding, all this uh, exercise. And another very interesting thing which I remember it had struck me, I really remember the moment it had struck me, I had read from Shurabindo and I closed my door and I was moving out of the room and I was wondering, it hit me very hard. And Shurabindo says, most of the fights are for small things. I wondered, yes, we don't fight over I have seen people fight over ideologies. I have seen people split. Actually, very good marriage, wonderfully going. And the person uh, both wrote to me that, you know, uh, like she is my ideal partner and he is my heavenly made uh, partner. And when the Ukraine Russia war started, you find it difficult to believe. They parted their ways because one supported Ukraine and the other supported Russia. It's so strange. But, <laughs> this is a real story. And it was beyond me that, you know, why would this spill over in this way? But then, yes, very often, more often, most often, fights are over small little things. 
over how much salt is there in the food. Why are you dressed up like this and not like that? Sometimes, see, staying a little away is very helpful because sometimes over smell. So it's it's fine. Each carry their own smell and being that atmosphere. But these are about very small things. Why you didn't say this to me or why you said this to me? So all these fights are very often about small things because the smaller and narrower the consciousness, the more the ego becomes uh, fragile, the need to defend, and you'll see that groups which uh, uh, all the time are saying that we are threatened, we are threatened, basically the consciousness becomes so small, narrow, rigid. Because now you are in a hole, and when you are in a hole, you feel very vulnerable. Because you don't have anywhere else to go. And these groups can be very violent, very aggressive. Mother says that violence is a sign of weakness and lack of control over the mind. But I must uh, clarify it because uh, very often uh, the way spiritually we understand violence is very different from the way it's understood ordinarily. So violence and non-violence are inner states. Inwardly, when we are in a state of non-violence, means I don't want any harm to anyone. I don't want any injury, even to my enemy, so ordinarily. I should not have any bad will. I shouldn't even once, not only utter, but even in my heart. Because if I have bad will, it's going to hurt me more than anyone else. Uh, because a snake can bite somebody once in a while, but a snake is the most pitiful creature. Because he's carrying that poison inside, he's full of fear. See, nature gives us so many hints. The deadliest creature on earth is, is a snake, a venomous snake. And the most frightened creature upon earth is a snake. And he wants to be in a hole and wants to stay in a corner because it's so much afraid. So the smaller the consciousness, the more violent we are inside. And this violence shows up in many ways and we know that, you know, there are some funny ways of violence which I must uh, possibly mention. Passive aggression, many people may have heard about it. Passive aggression is where I say, yes, yes, I do it, I do it. I never do it. It's my way of <laughs> torturing you. So, anyways, that's not so important. But the important thing is that inwardly, if I am prone to anger, anger is one thing which destroys, uh, you know, the Gita puts it so beautifully. If one wants to understand uh, the psychological aspects of human nature, the Gita is indeed one shop, one stop shop. And so beautifully it says that Krodhat Bhavati Samoha. So, what happens when anger overtakes us? We are deluded, we are clouded, we believe we are right. Of course, we are, everybody all the time believes they are right. But still, we are completely at that moment overtaken. We become anger. And then this anger can damage our own self first because the heart that harbors anger, jealousies, the smallness, this is so dangerous for oneself more than anyone else. Like for instance, jealousy and possessiveness. Mother says it's like a scar on their own soul. It's so difficult to... And then yes, it harms others. So simple things like managing anger, how to manage anger, go a long way in improving relationships. And the simple way is playing a lot of games.
diverting this anger into fruitful activities. I think one reason why the mother emphasized so much on physical education and physical activities in the ashram is particularly anger and the sexual impulse are very beautiful ways, games, and for the sexual impulse, the writing. It is another thing which I have seen, the relation of sexual impulse with uh, relationships, turbulence, and it may sound very strange, but uh, something which mother has said, that each sexual act, we take a dip into the inconscient. And it's so strange that most relationships, the moment I'm talking now of a man and a woman, or maybe man and a man, I don't know, I mean, all, everything is possible, but that's not important. But the moment sexuality intervenes, almost inevitably it intervenes because we are made up of a lot of animality still there in us. The moment it intervenes, the consciousness dips and is followed by all kinds of reactions and responses. But if that part is somehow kept out, my own little study of number of people who have, uh, I mean, fortunately I am on this side of the table when people come, but that's, of course, all of us are on all sides of the table. <laughs> but the only thing is, I have seen that relationships which really, really go a long way are those relationships where this element just goes away. So that's why uh, most uh, you will see that um, in, in a man-woman relationship, in a typical husband-wife relationship, seven years each and all those honeymoon periods over, all these terms come in. Because when we base the relationship on the vital, then vital by its nature wants a change. That's the unfortunate part, whether we like it or we don't like it. Vital wants a change. And if the relationship is based on the vital, on surface looks, attractions, then after a while the surface attraction gets off. If it is based on something little higher, which is emotional gratification, then emotional gratification after day in and day night. Uh, from the same person that tends to wear off. Even in life based on companionship, after a while you know each other's thoughts. So there is no novelty. Most uh, people who live together, they know, oh, okay, okay, I know what you are going to say. <laughs> so after some time, it stops. So what is the basis of relationship? So now as I said, we are going from outside and within. This is a very beautiful letter of because, well, you know, Dilip Kumar Roy and there are many others, very exuberant, vital in abundance, and uh, they would write, why are people uh, so much looking at cross in, with each other in the ashram? Uh, is my band, is friendship band in the ashram? And then she say, no, no, no. There's a beautiful letter, he says, uh, friendship, affection, love, in fact, the sequence is love, friendship, Affection, tender care, fidelity, this is the word. He says these are indispensable notes in the harmony that we want to bring. But we have seen that unless they are based on a secure psychic basis, they do not last, it brings not pain. So, this is something like a lesson that we believe in. Uh, like fast food relationship are like I have paid the price, now I have purchased Miss Perfect and Mr. Perfect. Uh, it's it's in one of the biggest illusions. Perfection is to be built and I think most people forget that relationships like everything else must be 
small. They may start with the Bible. It may be a surface attraction. Doesn't matter. It may be because you like somebody's speech or thoughts and it was beautiful. But if you stay there and get stuck there, it won't work out. So they alone succeed who take this life as an evolutionary challenge and evolve through the process. And it's beautiful if two people can evolve together or if a group can evolve together. That's so beautiful. But for that to happen, it must be centered around something which is permanent. Any relationship which is centered around something temporary is going to sooner or later wear off. But if it based on something permanent, what is that permanent secret of relationship mother gives? And she says there is a fire inside. Any relationship which is based on the common aspiration, a common aspiration is not necessarily the same path. One may be on the same path, but the aspiration may be very different. Aspiration is something unique to each one. One may have an aspiration to serve the divine. Another person may have an aspiration, oh, I want to know the divine. Now these, you know, on the same path, but they tend to. And even there, there are varieties of combinations and connections. So if there is a common aspiration, then whatever may happen outwardly, the relationship will go through all this, last and grow. It's known, this phenomenon is known in psychiatry, in psychology that every relationship goes through a turbulent period when people tend to break up or they are on the verge of breaking up. Now, uh, when we are very impatient with each other and in general with life, when we are looking for a ready-made something, then people do break up. And when they break up, they realize that, well, if you have worked through a relationship for a long time, it's much better, sooner to work with it rather than try out something new. This is, uh, Shubhendra speaks about it in one of his conversations. Because you have already worked, you know now each other's uh, plus and minus. So, if you go through this turbulent phase, which I have a term for it, it goes through the vital morass in which relationships get caught. But if one can go through it, go past it, like many of our, I feel, parents who were more patient with each other, maybe because of society, maybe because of whatever reasons, but when they went across it, it entered into a very stable phase. But there is a phase when it's very turbulent and if one, you know, that's the breaking point. And this turbulence can only be overcome if we look beyond that immediate case. So one of the things which helps uh, in, in anything in life, any sphere in life, I feel, and in relationship also is very important is, Something which I have seen in the generation that has gone before us. One thing they taught us, they had many defects, problems, issues, all right. But one thing they knew was Tyaga and Tapasya. They knew sacrifice. The spirit of sacrifice. Why? Because they took life like that. They took life like, you know, at least in the Indian setting it was Dharma. That's how it is. God's will. Learning to accept it as God's will. And they learn to sacrifice. So relationship is built through mutual sacrifice. What if the other person doesn't sacrifice? Well, still, the one who is sacrificing grows. Often I hear a complaint, but the other person doesn't understand, doesn't value it, doesn't matter. In Siddhartha Yoga, Shukrita gives us a very, very fascinating thing. And though he speaks about 
uh, outer gifts, it applies that much to inner things. He says, whoever the recipient and the giver, whatever the gift, even if it is refused by the immediate recipient, still if you have given it in the spirit that you are giving to the divine, it is noted and accounted. So it goes into the Hindi as they say of short karma. So if you have sacrificed to someone, all your life you may have sacrificed. There's some Shukri gives this beautiful example of say not, you know, uh, that love like of Savitri, of Guru and Rama and Sita does not exist. So there very interestingly, he's when he speaks of Rudu, he doesn't speak of Priyamada. When he speaks of Savitri, he doesn't speak about Satyava. But other examples he gives of both. So it could be a one-sided sacrifice. It doesn't matter. Because sacrifice when it is done with an expectation loses its meaning. It's a bargain. We may say I have no expectation, but sooner or later the expectation strikes. It's just that we have put into a long-term deposit, but one day we want the deposit. We don't want the thing to crash like the Bank of America. We want, you know, one day you have to give me back my deposit. And if it doesn't come, then we are very unhappy. But if the sacrifice is done with this idea that it is my purificatory ritual, and I am doing it to the divine in that person, it's a challenge, but something very beautiful. When you see completely contrary appearance, even a person may appear very hard, Outwardly, but still there is a divine thing. So, if we look at it, life gives us these opportunities to grow and to grow through this law of sacrifice. And another thing very beautiful, which we see in Savitri also, and the mother reminds us that people are like two things to say that the world is a mirror, so very often we see in others what is conceived inside us. Again, one of those Mahavakyas, when I had read it, it hit me very hard. I started noticing what this I have seen. Is it in me? Where is it in me? And after some time, I discovered that yes, it's there in a seed state, it is there in it carefully inside. Whatever I am seeing in the other person, it's there inside. It's almost a universal truth. And the second thing is to say, our relationships, they are like a mirror which show us our other selves. You see, why do we connect with some people and not with others? One is the affinity, but the other is that each one represents something of some aspect of our complexity. The problem is that when we want that, oh, this person is completely mine, and this is an illusion which we must get rid of. No, nobody is anybody's. That is the divine. The moment we make an error there, that's why the mother says, the, as far as deep within, is concerned, it's only the divine. Uh, this used to be another challenge that at least I used to face, that I want to love the divine as a beloved. And then I wondered, what does it mean to, to turn to the divine as a beloved? And then a uh, beloved is somebody whom you can actually share anything and everything without, uh, you know, being sure that you will not be judged, you will not be condemned, because that's what the beloved is about loves you best is a very beautiful uh, conversation of the mother which uh, all of us you know maybe later on can read it's in volume 9 and the mother uh, gives a whole commentary on our best friend and starts with one of her passages where she says our best friend is he who loves us in the best part of ourselves but does not expect us to be otherwise 
and cheated you royally, not us, his prisoner like that. And then, when I read Shurabindo, it justified one of my natural instincts that it's not actions, something else. And there are two Mahavakya of Shurabindo. One means is in action and event have no importance in themselves, but for the idea they represent and the force that is there to serve the idea. So unless we know what was the idea inside, we cannot judge an action. And then when he speaks about East and West in one of his Bangla writings, he says the difference between East and West. And he says that synthesis must be there, but it must be on an Eastern foundation. And he says in the East, we look at the motives. I think you a very recent event. So recently in, in Uttar Pradesh, a gangster was shot there. And everybody, oh, this is not the way to do it. This action is terrible. But there are many who rejoiced. Now why they rejoiced? Because they knew the motive inside, the deep behind, and therefore this thing which is instinct within the Indian mind. So he said in India, we judge by the motive inside. So when Shiva destroys, Kali destroys, she is still the loving mother. Now this is not a, uh, you know, okay anybody can destroy say I have got good motive. That's not what it means. But it is the motive which actually none of us can see, but only the divine sees. And he knows himself in the heart of the seeker. So, we see most of the time the outer actions, judge, condemn, criticize, and based on that draw our conclusions. And what is worse, one last little thing before we open for questions. We, uh, Shubhita has given us something very beautiful, it's about evolution. But we fix people in frozen frames. This is something which I find so strange. Twenty years back, you know, sometimes, oh, he is like this. So I asked them, okay, what happened? No, no, this, I saw this person do this. So when was it? Are Ten years back, I said, so you believe he is a stone? <laughs> Even stones can evolve from mud to becoming a god. What was it? See, many of these Indian stories, Ratnakar has hidden inside him a Valmiki. Anguli Mahal has Anand hidden inside. Just the question of vision. Jagai Madai of infamous fame become the famous devotees and disciples of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Saint Augustine, imagine, who becomes one of the great saints whose prayers are so touching, at least they are not just heartwarming, they are psychic expressions. And look at his life before he, you know, till 36 years, what kind of life he was leading. So, when we really look at people, we freeze them in frames. We fix them. And thereby, we kill them. Why? Because the person has no chance, not improving. But if we keep in mind that everybody can evolve, is evolving, and after all, it's not so important what benefit I can derive from a person. The selfishness, meanness, I have not even touched upon it. Because they are still too low and ugly. Meanness, selfishness are too, Shubhita says, too unpardonable sins, yet they are universal. He says, selfishness and meanness are the only sins I uphold. And yet they are so universal that they too must be pardoned. And Another place he says, courage and love are the only virtues. So this, of course, we, we need not speak even about that. But at least we must understand that everybody is evolving and can grow. And even our relationship, we can help each other evolve.
that's why this concept has come even in prisons. I think uh, in Pondicherry prison, many other places. Now prisons are beginning to become reformatories. So if hardcore criminals can evolve, when people who don't uh, believe type this speech of Shurabindo, Uttar Paras, it is so sobering, it has so many beautiful things, but one of them is when he and tales of his life, when he looked at the people who were murderers, criminals, and people whom he says in our superior pride we used to call them Choti Lok, Chotta Lok, that they are small people. And in them he sees Vasudeva. And not only sees them, he says, This, these are the people whom I am going to lift. And why? What is so special about them? One last word, something which we have to learn from Shirobindo all the time is humility. If there is one example of humility, Mother has spoken about it, it is Shirobindo. And someone, that picture of Shirobindo where Midali is sitting on the chair and Shirobindo is standing by the side. Recently someone sent a WhatsApp doctor image. And the image was Shurabindo sitting below and the mother is standing by the side, little leaning towards him. I said, this person doesn't understand Shurabindo. Never would he do that. You see, with Bhagani Devi, she's sitting on the chair. And mother would not, would be fine. She would be happy. <laughs> she's all this. But she is sitting and Shurabindo is standing. That image is so amazing. Here is this lady. Probably doesn't understand much about the world. Her husband is too way beyond her. And here is Shurabindo from an infinite intelligence pouring all his love upon her. So much so that when she is, uh, when she leaves her body, Shurabindo says, This is one sorrow. God has seen to it to lay upon my heart the one sorrow that still could touch me. So this kind of love which breaks all barriers, flows from a great height to something so much below in every way. This is humility. And with all his brilliance, all encompassing, I mean so much to learn from Shri Never he would get irritated. So many people would write letters, same thing again and again, blaming him, complaining. At one place in one of his letters he says, two-thirds of the ashram indulges in this. All the time blaming and complaining, unhappy over something or the other. He said, this is the main obstacle. He said, all other obstacles are very small. This is the main obstacle. If this would go, things would go very fast. In fact, use the word not things would go very fast, transformation would come very fast. But looking at the small things, crying over it, complaining, blaming, calling all kinds of adverse forces, into play. So you could have that basic humility and understand that we are all here holding hands together. Just because I am holding hands doesn't mean that permanent hand. <laughs> Buddha has come and taught us. <laughs> we have to go back for thousand years back. But permanent is only the divine. Permanent love is only with the divine mother. But at the same time, we are holding each other's hands. Let's embrace and carry each other together. Then pull each other down. That's why we close with the joke. I don't know whether it applies now or not. But yes, it applies that when there were teams of crabs coming from different countries, 
the percent for sale somewhere else, the tin of Indian crabs was there was no cover. So they asked, why is it so? And all the crabs were intact. This no, they keep pulling each other's legs so they will not escape. <laughs> it is sadly true. We don't pull each other's legs and uh, don't let anyone really grow and prosper. <laughs> so let us, instead of pulling each other's legs, pull each other's hands and understand that uh, human life as it is today is imperfect. Yet it is on the way to becoming perfect. And it cannot become perfect if we keep quarreling with each other. For the mother, this was strange. She says, Why do human beings quarrel? And she says, I am surprised. I was so touched reading that. She is surprised that human beings quarrel. Why do they quarrel? What a waste of energy. What a waste of everything. Even if you have differences, you can't solve them. You have to do what you have to do. But why quarrel? Why hate? Why throw away all these dark emotions? Be bitter. And all this comes, we go back to that one remedy, or rather one problem, which is called egoitis, in which human beings uniquely suffer. The more intellectually developed, the more one suffers. I am a sadhak, I am doing sadhana, don't disturb me. Remedy, methods, humility, tincture, 10 drops, 3 times a day, as often as one can. Devotion towards the divine because it automatically brings humility. The permanent remedy, discover the psychic, <laughs> probably will discover much more often, and union with the divine is the permanent remedy. As the mother says, that we can discover in others only that perfection which we have discovered within ourselves. And if we discover it in ourselves, probably we will see much more often in others. If I am unable to see something beautiful in the other person, it means I have not discovered that beautiful part within myself. So I think I will uh, stop here. The one hour is over, but uh, I don't know if any questions are there. Most welcome. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the 
card yes card was in sweet that's okay but the tea i was carrying from hong kong that was all opened and spilled over so it was not really good sign to open the suitcase first all see so i went and told my host that see this what is happening he said yes they have to do it it's in national interest and it struck me that had it opened here many of us would have blamed the then government whoever was the government you see this is how they are now this was done in a national interest and i appreciated that yes that's true every nation has the right to safeguard itself so while i agree it is universal human nature but this uh, problem and the reason for it is very deep the problem for this is that india is so diverse so diverse that you know people easily tend to identify with a kind of group than another so that's where the pulling left pulling etc comes in. Uh, as to the governments where the days of democracy are over and i think it's be more used so that's story about but it, it is universe sadly perhaps with more in india if there is an attack today unfortunately from any of the countries pakistan or china we are seeing it during the global crisis invariably the opposition whoever it is will blame the government that's why atal bihari party stand though in opposition when indra gandhi had uh, taken over bangladesh something so great to be remembered for all time when he went to her and said we are full with you on this and he said you are like durga at this point of time but when if you have that whiteness and generosity of Ranjit Singh 
Radha Ranjit Singh, Brevai, Sohar, Mother of Punjab. And even now you will see people uh, glorifying one particular group of people as if others had no role or little role. But uh, that's why I was thinking the other day that we should start a movement. Uh, in India, maybe it would at some point come here. Me to India. And I was thinking in Hindi we can start. Mayagi Bharat. The man standing on the settle, sentinel, guarding the pass in remote Arunachal or this place is as much India as the man sitting in the parliament in Kavali. So this idea, that's why nationalism is so important. Shouldn't say that there is a nation, nationalism is Rajasik. It is egoistic. Is it, but it is important. Patriotism is suffering. But you need both. Because if you don't have the spirit of nationalism, this is something which has been lacking. Because everybody is busy with their own self-interest. So in Orwell context, first of all, we should understand it's a matter of pride, what it means to be an Orwellian. It's not just about the charter. When I want to identify truly with the vision of the mother, with her creation, there would be different interpretations. But who is at the center? Can I have my own way and my own vision of, imagine everybody has, somebody may have an idea about India that I want to set it. That's how people thought during the time of Raja. That's how they sold. So can that be accommodated? Does it make any sense for a group? So a group must have a center and a core. And for some reason I feel that that core has very gradually shifted. And why it is shifted? Because we started making the Divine Mother, sorry to say, indispensable. We made dispensable. It doesn't matter. Why? Because any which way, this is a very fatal mistake. It came in, then it has taken roots. Now, when you say that, there is no core and center. So each of us has our own thinking of yoga, of, you know, each of us has their own brand of yoga. So many activities which go on in the name of yoga. We don't even need to read Mother and Shri Why? Because freedom. Now, that's not what it means. There is no central connecting point. And I believe just like India, Shri said, we'll get united when we have the vision of Mother India. But even there he said, don't take Mother India in isolation with the universal mother. So he spoke of the threefold vision of India. Mother India, universal mother, because otherwise it will become aggressive egoistic thing. And like Star Wars, that you know, one country is saving the whole world. And the transcendental divine mother. So that is the need of the moment that we belong to the mother. And more than anything else, we are not here to satisfy our own idea of what things should be. I, I'll just touch one small thing then I'll stop here. Uh, in, in a meeting once long back, I think 25 years back, uh, people were, that was India's 50th anniversary and I was part of the meeting. All the big people were there and they were thinking about what we should do for India. And they were all sure with those Connecting with So one great person, I won't name, he said, This is how we will build the India of our dreams. I said, Excuse me, the India of Shirvindu's dreams. 
and the meeting closed with that. The India should be listening. We are not here to fulfill our own idea and dreams. It is create chaos. But well, maybe a group has to go through chaos. That's a different story. Not to Maybe humanity has to go through chaos, maybe the world has to go through. That's a different story. But very frankly, when we lose sight of the center and then these things happen. That happens also because many kinds of Western interests come in, selfishness come in. I mean, it opens the doors to all kinds of pitfalls. Should be the caution that when people come in, they join and they pay a lip service. It's very easy for me to say I am an ashramite. What does it mean to be an ashramite? Is it my name on the prosperity? Or is it something much deeper? That's the question which each one has to ask. Also, if we take the larger view, since we are at this particular issue, people often say, well, everybody has the freedom. I said, yes. So then people have the freedom to act according to the law and do all kinds of things, blows come, all that is part of the large picture. If we really say that there is this greater wisdom, then the greater wisdom can do anything. So maybe the greater wisdom is pushing people, operating through X, Y, and Z. But the point is, is that the road we want to take, that's where each one has to be. Still we are in the rational curve which has become dated. Human beings have to evolve from the rational to the intuitive age. And I don't think it can come without an opening to the psychic door or going beyond the rational and as long as we are there by debate and discussion, we have debated since Socrates' times and we know where the world is and if we still believe in the superiority of the rational, analytical, debating mental processes then we are far behind, we are living in, I would say, ancient times because I see more and more people who are awakening to intuition. So what does the intuition say? We have to look. And if I am justifying a way of life, that means I am not intuitively correct. Okay. Okay. So I think uh, thank you so much.